Yeah. So, if you, Rachel, I don't know how you if you do your intro. If you want to just introduce me, just just refer to me as uh, however you want. But just say uh, if you want to give me any bio at all, just say I'm the author of the Internet Apocalypse trilogy and the co-host of the Contrarian Court podcast. Well, so I was, my plan was I was going to introduce you as famous person Wayne Gladstone, uh, who is famous and on our show, and then let you describe the cool things you're doing. But I think actually what I'm going to do instead is I'm just going to use this as the like cold open and drop some music like here. So you're going to, you're going (laughs) to, okay, fine. That doesn't make me sound like an asshole at all. This is this is not safe for wonks. For those of you listening, I'm Kennedy Cooper. I'm Rachel Gunn. Leia Rose. And with us today we have Wayne Gladstone, famous internet person who demanded to be introduced by a book. Yeah, I wanted to be introduced by a book, but it's uh, no. Thank you for having me. Yes, I I wrote the Internet Apocalypse trilogy, and I'm the co-host of the Contrarian Court podcast, and I am pleased as punch to be here today blessed be yeah we're excited to have you on um i actually have been familiar with your writing for a long time i'm not going to flatter you with false compliments and say i am a huge fan but like you i am aware of your existence (laughs) you are someone who has written things that i have read and liked and it is nice to have people on the show that i can actually say that about as opposed to people who are like you know, there's some reason I'm supposed to be interested in them, but I don't really know what it is. <laughs> that That's me right now. I don't know who you are. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I was, you know, huge in the 90s. So uh, it waned. <laughs> it, it waned? I kind of wasn't in the 90s whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it really wasn't the 90s. I was, you know, ni- uh, it was, I guess it was the aughts and it wasn't huge. It was just some internet notoriety. But if I had to be remembered for anything, it would be the book that isn't out yet. My upcoming novel, Side Hustle, which I will pimp Ooh. out hard. Uh, and it's about catfishing and finan- and economic anxiety and the financial collapse of 2009. So now, now, I'm, now, now, now you're happy, right, Leah? Like, you're like, oh, man, we got the guy who wrote a book that isn't published yet. That's who I want to talk to. That's what we were looking forward to today. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Well, so um, the real reason we have you on, uh, beyond just because you're, famous and will make us slightly less unfamous by association uh, is because we wanted to start doing a series of sort of roundtable discussions of topics involving but not necessarily reporting on politics. So in particular, uh, we wanted to talk about a phenomenon that has been righteously pissing me off. Um, This sort of merging we're seeing between politics and entertainment and sort of the rise of political hobbyism and why that's like a bad thing actually well you say it's a bad thing but you know Alyssa milano's sex strike has been so liberating for me i really i just i'm thinking more clearly and it's really helping get trump out of office jesus christ you i I feel like you aged me with several years by that because how long ago was that that feels like a decade ago. Well, that was, I guess it was about four months ago. 
six months ago? I every, don't know. Every don't month know. of this presidency feels like about seven years. She was, she was, she kind of was pimping out the sex strike, I think, when around the same time when Biden announced, because Biden was the first host on her, the first guest on her podcast. I want to fucking die. Okay, so... I haven't, I haven't engaged in a sex strike, but I will mm. say honestly, in deference, that during that entire period, I have not fucked Alyssa Milano. My condolences. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your, your, your sheer honesty in this matter. I it's, think a lot of lesser men would have actually tried to gotcha her and admitted that they fucked Alyssa Milano. <laughs> that's, a, that's true. I was trying to seduce her just to make a hypocrite mm-hmm. out of her. I was like sending her like Deborah Messing tweets and like Charlotte Clymer things about the beauty of centrism, hoping to woo her, but it, it didn't work. I'm sorry. Because I have no money. Did you donate did you donate a dollar to the Center for American Progress? I uh, I sent Neera Tandon four dozen roses. I, I, I went to, I went to, what's his face, uh, Daily Costco's uh, florist, and I said, the Nancy Pelosi rose order, triple it, send it on over to Nira. And that's how I would uh, get Alyssa Milano's heart. It's, it's a foolproof plan. I'm very sorry for you that it didn't end up working out. You know, Alyssa Milano was a big Cracked fan, which was the website I used to write for, and they were all sucking up to her. And I, I didn't do that just out of you know self-respect, but uh, so glad to find out it turned out that she had dog shit politics because it made me feel better about the whole thing. So, like, originally you had felt really passed over, and now you can justify it to yourself that she found you unfuckable? I don't think the unfuckability has anything to do with the, uh, the past Cracked affiliation. I think that's just based on my appearance and personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, it's kind of funny. For me, back in the before times, reading shit like Cracked actually started genuinely introducing me to topics that later would have been very important to me properly radicalizing. Like, while I was getting my philosophy degree, I was reading a bunch of Cracked articles about, like, the human condition or whatever with, like, poorly cited but compelling (laughs) science you know and it it put me off on some like directions that honestly like i I do feel like it contributed to my political identity now well i mean look i don't i think about a third of what i wrote for that site is dog shit but uh um i like i'm very proud of some things too but um first of all my politics have changed I've moved left since Cracked, but I was always on the left side of Cracked, and I was actually very uncomfortable that Cracked never seemed to take any of the uh, NSA problems seriously, and they were not particularly critical of Obama, except for the few of them who proudly voted for Bush, which we won't get into. But the point is, like, it's interesting. It's it's a, it's embarrassing when I go back in the sense that it's a record of, of how I felt and the sense that I wrote a column which if you parse is not so terrible, but I wrote a column that was critical of the OWS movement, not for their objective, but I was upset that they were protesting at Wall Street because I wrote that they should be protesting in Washington. I agreed with everything they were saying, but my point at that time, at that time was capitalism is inherently uh, amoral. It's all about profit. You can't ask a capitalist to be more ethical and be less greedy. That'll never happen. But what you can ask is that our politicians police that greed. I still feel that way. I still feel that's the right target. But, but I didn't appreciate at the time the true value of OWS, which I think was teaching everyone, including me, about the existence 
of the 1%. And that message got through and paved the way for really Bernie Sanders to be able to penetrate the consciousness, uh, even though he'd been talking for 30 years, starting in 2015. Yeah, I think Occupy really set the stage for what we are seeing now. Um, And I think sort of to your ancient times point, uh, (laughs) look, listen, we're in internet years, right? Like half of our audience is Zoomers. They're like 18 years old and Occupy is like something that happened when they were in fucking diapers. I was in elementary school when Occupy was happening. There was, there was, there was Jesus, and then America was founded, and then Occupy Wall Street, and then the Zoomers were born. That's history. That's the fucking chronology of the future, baby. So in the ancient times when, like, you and I were adults, and Kennedy was an adult, and Leia wasn't born yet. um... How old is Leia? Is it a school night for Leia? How how young is Leia? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Don't worry. Don't worry about it, because I dropped out of high school to go to college, and then I dropped out of college. Okay, okay. So you're not getting, like, class credit for being on this podcast. This is, like, civil duty. Leia is driven purely by desperation and rage, as are pretty much the rest of us. Um, So, no, but back in the ancient before times, like, when Occupy was sort of doing its thing. This was during the Obama administration, so let's... Politics wasn't real before Trump. Come on. Okay, all right, all right. But, like, okay, but here's the thing about Trump specifically is, I swear to God, time dilated when he got elected. And, like, it has somehow been 15 years since he actually, like, took office. I I feel the exact opposite. Really? You feel like it's been faster? Yes, and I'll tell you why. When Obama was president... Everyone loved him, and there was no criticism of him, and I was really pissed off. It was his presidency that said this. I was furious. It moved me left. The Obama presidency moved me left because the Bush terrified me, and I elected Obama to undo Bush, and Obama upped the ante on everything terrible about Bush. Not everything, but national security, uh, war, surveillance, uh, bailing out Wall Street in the exact same way, going to war in the exact same way, Gitmo open. It was just all empty promises, and it moved me left. But Obama was and still is a popular president. So I felt alone and in an echo chamber of everyone telling me I was fucking crazy. You know, go vote for Ralph Nader. Uh, Ralph Nader, go ask your grandpa about Ralph Nader, Leah. Um, (laughs) So so with Trump, even though I don't like MSNBC, sure, it doesn't upset me to hear somebody say Trump's a total piece of shit. So I don't feel crazy. So time's moving faster. I'm like, yeah, he's a piece of shit and everyone knows it except pieces of shit. See, the thing for me that has been just, like, excruciating is the way that the entire, like, center and really, like, anything to the right of progressive has just completely lost its fucking mind about Trump. And it's like, you can't talk about anything that actually matters, that is actually happening to people, because the only things that these fuckheads have ever wanted to talk about since fucking 2016 is like oh we gotta impeach him he's such a bad guy like he did this embarrassing thing and it's just it's like you're actually giving too much credit Uh, all the time you know i complain regularly about like hanging out on like neoliberal discords and dealing with neoliberals on twitter and uh (laughs) like 
a lot of times it's like they don't even want to talk about something as substantive as what you're talking about. They want to talk about some terrible photo of Trump that was taken this week where he God. looked really dumb. Look at how dumb the orange man looked this week. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Hey, did you know, did you hear, did you hear that Blump thought that the Kansas City Chiefs played for fucking Kansas? What an idiot. Yeah, right. And so there's this kind of just constant fingernails on a chalkboard screeching that's happening in my head at all times because these people won't shut the fuck up. That's true, but I muted almost all of them in 2016. The Deborah Messings, the Charlotte Climbers, the Eric Bolitzes, the Eric Garlands, the fucking Tom Watsons, the... Oh my god. Have we gotten to the topic yet? <laughs> what topic? <laughs> no, not really. I thought it was entertainment and politics. I thought that was the okay, topic. Okay, fun thing that I just thought of. One of my first memories was in elementary school, in either kindergarten or first grade, and it was recess. I was having a mock 2008 election with my fucking dipshit classmates, and I remember I voted for Obama, and we had this little slip of paper that we passed around the, the plastic recess table. <laughs> it was just like, Great. why did you shorten that story by saying, you're old? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, if we're sharing cringe stories, I can tell you all about the kind of, like, Hillary Stan middle school me was. Oh no. Oh yeah. If we're talking about if we're talking about political cringe, I was a fucking gamer gator. That's oh, this is all terrible. No, this is bad. That's not So when I was in middle school, uh we had mm -hmm. like a mock Senate as part of our Georgia history class that we were required to take because Georgia is fucking Georgia. Mm -hmm. And um in that i tried to pass a gay marriage bill uh and then my conservative christian teacher talked me down into a civil union bill and i like took it because i was like 13 or whatever was your was your teacher john Kerry? yeah right and it's like in retrospect perfectly sums up exactly who i was supposed to become i mean look i you know that's that's um just to tell you how dog shit i mean when i say my politics were dog shit i was just a standard centrist Democrat, okay. Um, oh yeah, but yeah. but that's when I say dog shit. I wasn't like a fucking you know Klansman. Although it would be cool to be the first Jewish Klansman. But moving on, I remember when John Kerry was running, and he wasn't for gay marriage. He was for civil unions, and my ex-wife was very upset about that, and that that he wasn't for gay marriage. And I was like, I wasn't not upset about it, but I was just like, you know what, you know, it's just like an economic, uh, political reality. And I don't think he's homophobic, but at least he's for civil unions, and, you know, that's good enough, right? It's this thought that whatever the establishment tells you is good enough must be good enough. Like, otherwise, it's just not pragmatic. Why? Who said so? Obama uh -huh. didn't do shit for the gay community. Will and Grace, even though Deborah Messing sucks, Will and Grace deserves more credit for gay marriage being a reality now than, than any fucking Democrat in existence. Every person who was brave enough to come out, everyone who made someone realize that every time they said gays go to hell or gays shouldn't be able to marry because now their son, their daughter's queer, deserves more credit than the entire Democratic Party because those people pushed the majority of America to believing in gay marriage, at which point Obama said, oh, okay, I'm for it too. They did nothing. 
Bernie Sanders is the only politician in my entire life who pushed people to want more, who drove the conversation left, and actually succeeded in doing so. And I filled with such self-loathing to think that the majority of my life I just looked at people like John Kerry, Michael, uh, you know, Al Gore, and be like, well, it must it must be all that's possible because they're good Democrats, so that must be all that we could get. That must be all we deserve. And I'm really, I love Bernie, but in a way, he made me hate myself for who I was <laughs> because it didn't have to be. It was totally unnecessary. People can ask for better things. We have a right to do so. I, yeah, the neoliberal consensus that was established in the 90s of fucking this is all you get. And it's great. That was in the 90s. But as the um, foreign disaster of 9-11 happened and the domestic disaster of 08 happened, it turned into this is all you get and it sucks. But do you really want to right. be like Venezuela? Do you really want to be like China? And because there wasn't an articulated alternative, we couldn't do fucking shit. And we're just like, oh, okay, That's right. this is I... all I get. It's fine. I, I have my schlop. My schlop isn't like China's schlop. They're, they have less schlop. At least I can still get an abortion. That's basically what it came down to. At least to, to, to want more, to want more is to hate women who want abortions. To want more is to hate gay people. I mean, that's what we were told in 2016. To want more is to hate minorities. It's privileged to want more. Well, wait, who are the people who want more? The people who don't have anything. How can you call them privileged? Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And this, this was the entire narrative of the fucking white, straight male Bernie bro that is middle class. And they'll still say it. it doesn't even fucking matter. Bernie has more female supporters, more people of color, more working class people. 66% right. of Hispanic voters in right. Nevada. So, so, and they're still, they know they can't say like bro to mean white racist Southern guy anymore, which is what they tried to say in 2016. It wasn't even true then, but it doesn't matter. They're still saying it because they don't hate bros. They just hate people. <laughs> They just want the betters of society to make the decisions. They just hate the masses. Yeah, it's interesting what you said earlier about, like, Obama moving you left. I feel the same way. And something Brandon said before on this podcast in a different episode, uh, unfortunately he's not here, but uh, so I'll have to paraphrase him, but, uh, you know, is that Obama is the best that the neoliberals had to offer. He's sure. the neoliberal dream. So if that's the best that they have to offer, that's the best neoliberal politics has to offer. Therefore, it doesn't have to offer shit because fucking my life sure didn't get better over the Obama years. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> no, no. I, I lost my house. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Obama administration did nothing to help me maintain my house, but it allowed everyone who had loans on my house to get a bonus that year. And then you have the Michael Bloomberg saying the real problem was is that they sent too many loans to black people. We didn't redline enough. I mean, it's like, how can how can there be any hope in the presidency of a Joe Biden or an Amy Klobuchar or a Pete Buttigieg when Obama was literally like the holy grail of neoliberal champion and he couldn't do it. He couldn't get anything done. It was everything these people ever could have wanted. And he didn't get anything fucking done. 
because he didn't want to. Here's the thing. There were no Republicans. Obama would have led like been slightly more left if there was not a Republican in existence. But I got to tell you, the one thing I like about Amy is that she doesn't even pretend to give a shit about me. Her campaign slogan should be, Amy Klobuchar, fuck you, 2020. And I kind of love her for it because she wants me to die. When I think of the phrase like I wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire, it's Amy Klobuchar. That she clearly would not piss on me if I were on fire. I mean, she literally in every debate they're like, Amy Klobuchar, should people have anything? And she's like, Well, in small midwestern towns where my uncle Ted grew up, life was simple and therefore no, everyone should just die. My father was an alcoholic. I know how to bake a pie. Fuck you. <laughs> It, there is something about her brazenness that is very funny. I think I think just 2020, 2020 is experiencing just the unraveling of the cord of the Democratic Party, and we're seeing all of the little microfabules inside. We're seeing the just fuck you, you don't deserve anything, people, which is Amy Klobuchar. We're seeing the naked ambition careerist who will do anything for power, which is Pete Buttigieg. We're seeing the senile old guard who has no reason to be there other than they were there previously, which is Joe Biden. And then we're seeing the just fucking naked money interests of, well, if I can't buy my politicians, I'll just become the politician, which is Michael Bloomberg. Well, I, or Yeah, or I'd say with Bloomberg, it's even worse than that. It's like Citizens United helped me buy politicians, but I'm a good businessman, so I know how to cut out the middleman. I'll just be the politician mm -hmm. by buying the election. Like it's it's like we put up a it's like we put up a prism to the Democratic Party and we're just seeing the fucking naked bile that's inside of it. And I have said it before and I will say it again. Twenty twenty will be the death of the Democratic Party as we know it. Oh my God! It, it, unless Bernie wins, it will be the death of the Democratic Party. No, especially if Bernie wins. Oh, even oh, either you're right. You're right. You're right. Especially if Bernie wins, because that that's why I said as we know it. You're right. Either way, if Bernie wins, it'll be transformative, and they are willing to destroy the entire party mm -hmm. to try to defeat him. So either way. Because if Bernie emerges with a plurality in Milwaukee and he leaves without the nomination, I will never vote for a Democrat ever again. Yeah, I mean, I, the only reason I'm registered as a Democrat is to vote in, in primaries and, and local elections. I mean, Same. there's a viable third party. I will change my affiliation uh, in a second. But let me ask you a question. This is a good podcast mm -hmm. to ask this question on. And probably it's of, of the four of us, I would say Rachel's probably the most uniquely qualified. Who brings more shame to their community? Pete Buttigieg, to the gay community or Mike Bloomberg to the Jewish community? Who is a bigger pox? Fuck. Oh, Christ. And Rachel, you're like right in there, right? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Oh, um, I'm actually gonna say Bloomberg because Bloomberg feeds into the like greedy Jew narrative. That's true. And that actually is like worse, I think, for us than Pete Buttigieg. Good who point. I fully believe his husband is a beard and actually is straight. That's right. That's right. The, the, him being gay is the him being openly gay is the literally the only cool thing about him. And and so it doesn't seem true. Apart from it's the only thing that stands out apart from the just sea of resume building. I think it's a psyop. Yeah. I really oh, I... do. I think that Pete <laughs> married a man to create the appearance of being gay, but actually has never had sex and does not even have genitals. 
J. Edgar Hoover's corpse in 1998 plotted, like, uh, we need to get ahead of this gay thing. We need a gay politician that we can fucking do whatever we want with. And they, cr- and they synthesize Pete Buttigieg in a lab. That's why he doesn't have genitals. Exactly. It's, it's like a Ken doll down there. Mm. I am the last person in the world to kink shame anyone. But, like, gay mm-hmm. sex is just way too normal for, for Pete Buttigieg. I don't know how he gets <laughs> off, but it's not something as simple as making love to his husband. It, it involves, like tax and, a, and a, a corpse of some kind and and like propaganda being projected there's paperwork involved i know you mean t-a-c-k-s but because it's pete when you said tax i immediately thought t-a-x like he's getting <laughs> off on it's both, financial it's both, code it's both he's he's driving thumbtacks into his arm while he's thinking about raising taxes on the poor it's the double tax orgasm. He's just got books of financial code open. He's just... Ugh, ugh. Making his husband read quick and out loud. <laughs> just, Chastin, will you please reread section 38? God, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I can never remember Chastin's name. By the way, is it true? Is Chast... There's this thing from an uncredible source. But it, it says that Chastin is worth millions. You I don't know. That? It would not surprise me. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise well, it wouldn't, me. It would surprise you in the sense that he's just a school teacher, but... Yeah, well, we'll see about that, I'm sure. I mean, I have some friends who are a nurse and a teacher and also standing to inherit millions of dollars when dad dies. And I feel like that's like that's kind of the norm for millennials who come from wealth now. Is like none of us really achieved as high as our parents. Like none of us achieved as high as our parents, but like we still have the generational wealth, so. Apparently, according to an unsourced website, he's uh, Chaston is worth 8 million dollars. Right. I've seen that online, huh. but it's 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 at the same kind of website that like, you know, will tell you that, you know, some celebrity from Growing Pains is worth, you know, 20.2 million, you know. Look I just want to say, first of all, that uh, this is, like, slightly a tangent, but when Pete said at the last debate, I'm the only person on this stage who isn't a millionaire, it's the biggest joke for him to act like he will not become a millionaire the second, the first second that he can, just like Obama did. So, uh, So many of these Democratic politicians, you know, they come into office, they don't have that much money. I mean, they usually come from some kind of background that allowed them to get good education at a you know good university. And, you know, they, they don't have that much money, but then they get rich. It's like to, for Pete Buttigieg to act like his goal is not to be a multimillionaire in life, please. That is the biggest fucking joke. Yeah, like fucking get fucking real. It's the pinnacle of liberal identity politics where representation and justice for groups comes from belonging to the group and also incidentally having power. Like, justice for poor people means having someone who isn't a millionaire as the president. Justice for gay people means having a fucking gay person as president. Just, like, absolutely gracelessly dragging us back onto topic... I mean, obviously, there's a lot of entertainment value to what is happening here. It's fucking funny. Like, the absurdity of it is so mind-blowing that you really can't help but laugh. And for those of us who are struggling to survive, like, anyway, and can only really sell our shit posts or whatever, like, yeah, of course, 
we do this as an entertainment thing and also hopefully try to educate people. But somewhere along the way, right, like the media criticism dried up. It became really complacent. You know, people really got bought. I mean, I think it's kind of always been that way, but I don't know. At, at what point did we start almost exclusively doing politics as something that is entertaining as opposed to like taking it more seriously i don't think anyone ever took it seriously yeah Yeah. the the kind of people who do are the kind of people that did model united nations in high school and jack off to spreadsheets i'm that i'm that person i'm that person and i didn't know shit and i gotta tell you my son because I'm much older than all of you. Uh, I'm in my 40s, fuck you. My son's a teenager. He's, like me, a a dirty leftist, but he's, like, you know, debate team and all that, and he has to read these articles. This this To compete, he has to read The Economist, and he's losing his fucking mind reading this shit, shit that says, like, well, Bernie might be good for X, but what about the stock market? Uh. (laughs) right and so so the people who quote-unquote cared about politics who read the things that quote-unquote smart people read they never knew shit they only knew what the mainstream establishment wanted to tell them you know what i think i can narrow down the question i'm actually asking a little better it's at what point did it become like a pop culture phenomenon which is what's happening to it in like this election cycle in particular, last election cycle, and really, I guess since Obama? I, I, have a, I have a guess. I think the Democratic Party increasingly offered people nothing. And the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans was increasingly nothing. So by the time Obama was president, all the party really had to ant- at offer, we couldn't offer a better foreign policy, it was identical. We couldn't offer better taxation. It was identical. We couldn't offer regulation of Wall Street. We we didn't want Glass-Steagall either. We just wanted the Dodd-Frank, which was neutered in the first place. So, so what the Democratic Party offered was, hey, we're cooler. We're nicer. We're hipper. We're rock stars. And so a bunch of fucking dumbass libs were like, yeah, that's what makes us Democrats. We're hip. We're cool. Look at our black president. Or we like gay people. Like, that's all they fucking had. But the point is, like, they were just looking for wedge issues because they couldn't talk about war and they couldn't talk about taxes and they couldn't talk about finance and they couldn't talk about corporations. So they're like, well, what's something that we can get behind that doesn't cost any money that's on the right side of history? They just became the party of, like, not real substantive structural change, but identity politics. And I think that sucked up a bunch of dumbass celebrities. And then when Trump became cartoonishly evil on the other side, it just made the narrative even simpler to like pick sides and pretend to be woke. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, I sort of can't blame people for beginning to treat politics like sports teams when the parties themselves increasingly want to be treated like sports teams. Let's be real, this isn't even super new. I mean, I, this has to go back at least as far as Reagan. I, it's it's kind of interesting in a way because Reagan was sort of in the same position as you described the Democrats being in when he, like, helped the Republicans take, like, a new wave of power. It was like the Republicans didn't have that much that they could really do to, like, stand out with policy. So they were like, look, we got the cool guy. He's a movie star. And he is going to be so cool. That's a good point. That's a good point. And then it just became about patriotism and American values, whatever that was, as opposed to anything political. Right, exactly. Um, I I definitely think, like, 
I sort of enjoy, um, you know, certain aspects of these long political cycles, but I definitely think, like, somehow involved with all of this getting off the line is, like, these political cycles that are so outrageously long. Most countries' elections take, like, a fraction of the time that our elections take, and uh, it's become a complete circus. And I think we also, we have to have publicly funded elections because one of the problems that we see with like Tom Steyer and, and Bloomberg uh, buying their way into the race is that they're doing things like they're making TV ads more expensive for other politicians. Well, no politician should be buying a TV ad in the first place. Every politician should be given TV time. You know, every candidate should be given TV time. That's true. Um, you should be allowed to get like the same coverage as your opponents and stuff like that. This whole thing of these wealthy individuals being able to outmaneuver, you know, in the business way, these other people. The reason Bloomberg is so popular is just because his name is out there. And because his name is out there and there's so much money behind it, no one else can get their name out there in the places that he's dominating because his dollar is way bigger. And beyond that, like I, I'm sure you've heard this, I'm sure you've seen the stories about how he's hiring so many people that local races just don't have people to right. hire and to do the jobs for. He's just fucking sucking up so many just people that there's a brain drain from every other kind of race. Which is very bad for the Warrens, for the Buttigiegs, for the Bidens, um, but is less bad for the Bernie. The Bernie. Bernie, because his <laughs> supporters are just supporters. They're yeah. devotees. They're, they're, they're people who will, who will do it for nothing. They're people who will spend. They're really committed to the cause. They're not career politicians. So they can't really be bought. And it's the only chance we have. But I got to tell you, I got to ask you a question since you're all so much younger and so much queerer and so much hipper than I. Just got the, this reply to on Twitter by this person whose bio has an acronym I have never seen. And I need you to tell me what this means. Sure. Are you ready? Okay. I could Google it. I could Google it, but I've got I've got like a near Zoomer and two millennials. I mean, why don't I ask you, right? No, but we're here. Let's do this. Yeah. Q-T-I-P-O-C. Queer, trans, indigenous people of color. Damn, Leia had that like in one second. It's a queer, queer, trans, indigenous person of color. That's what I assumed the I would be. I, I haven't had I haven't had the, I haven't encountered that acronym specifically before, but based on what I know, that's my first assumption. Well, it sounds it sounds right, but she's also because she replied to my tweet. She's also uh, uh, Jewish, so I don't know if that helps you uh, know anything. Uh, actually, I I actually do know the answer to this one because I am woker than all of thou. Uh, it's okay. queer, trans, and intersex. People intersex. Intersex. That was my second ah. choice, but I thought. Well, well, it's weird because I I went to Urban Dictionary and I just got queer, trans, people of color. Uh, let's get back to a topic we probably won't cut from this podcast. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, I think you know, honestly, Michael Bloomberg getting into this race makes perfect sense when he just sat back and watched for almost four years trump treat the presidency as like any other asset like he just walked in he was like oh i can offer pardons okay who's got money or influence or things that i want like now bloomberg is just looking at it the same way of course i mean that's a tasty looking piece of cake there 
Well, just to fuck up the show so you can't cut the other bit, Bloomberg is clearly not a person of color because of stop and frisk. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, now you have to keep the whole fucking segment. Yeah. I mean, like, based on their original party affiliations, like, four years ago, we could conceivably imagine an alternate history where Michael Bloomberg is currently the president and Donald Trump is trying to buy his way into the into the Democratic nomination. That is a possible present. It, do you think it's better or worse than this one? It's the same. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. 100%. Well, no, wait. I, I, I think... I think liberals would freak out less over Bloomberg because he at least knows how to present civil. Yes, and I think that things uh, things qualitatively changed when Trump got elected. Because he was so fucking brash, everybody on the fucking planet feels like they could be president of the United States at this point. And Bloomberg at least knows how to fake it in front of a camera. So I, I feel like in some ways, like, the strife of the average person of color or queer or trans person would be probably equally as shitty but i think that the level of sort of hysterical engagement would not be there and so i think actually it would probably be as bad or worse i see where you're coming from but i think it would be exactly the same because in this universe we're assuming that bloomberg is the republican and so i'm just assuming that bloomberg is just like all, all of the stuff that you read in these terrible quote books that everyone's circulating now, where Michael Bloomberg is just like, yeah, women are good for one thing, or, you know, just How like... How to get people the motivated? Worst. Are they addicted to three meals a day? Just shit that, like, fucking stereotypical robber barons from the 1800s would say. Yeah. Like, if, if he was just putting that even slightly more forward then it would just be the same thing with different actors um it's i think it's impossible to know who the overall more dangerous one is although ben dixon is coming on contrarian court next week to say bloomberg is more dangerous but uh it regardless of how they would rule Okay, because neither of them wants to overturn Citizens United. Both of them will go to war nonstop. Both of them don't care about women. Both of them don't care about uh, black people. At best, don't care about black people. But if Bloomberg becomes president, it is because he's bought the election. It is because he gave enough millions to the DNC that they let him into debates and they changed rules for him. It is that he has spent five more times on ad money than anyone else so that the networks like him and want him in the race. That's a more dangerous precedent, I think, than Donald Trump. So if Jeff Bezos wants to be president, he can be president. If you're a multi-billionaire you can be president and that is a very dangerous thing it turns the presidential election into a bidding war that's right that's right and for people who believe that billionaires are a policy failure uh making them the guy with the most money gets to be president that policy failure will never change and if it doesn't change i don't think it's hyperbole to say the world ceases to exist because capitalism will chew the last dying embers of our world. Uh, they don't give a fuck about whether or not their grandkids have a planet to live on. It's this perfect Randian apocalypse, you know? Like, we're gonna fucking die because a handful of people were 
too toxic and the majority of people were too subservient. Ugh, like I swear, if Bloomberg gets the nomination and then proceed, it, like, it doesn't matter what, what happens after that, but if Bloomberg gets the nomination, I'm gonna fucking become a Maoist. I'm gonna retreat to the Florida Everglades and start a protracted people's war. Oh, I thought you were gonna just set yourself on fire. I could do that, too. God. I, I also, I'm deeply in the camp. If Bloomberg gets the nomination, I will never support the Democratic Party again. It's over. Like, I think, this is ridiculous. The people who are honestly willing to justify this guy's existence in the party, at that point, it's it literally is just sports teams. It literally is just, well, we've got this group of people who have abilities and you've got this group of people that have abilities. What are the abilities? Being political fucking scoundrels. Yeah. I mean, look, you've got a guy, the only time in my lifetime, and I'm 800 years older than all of you, who has united both both people from red states and, and like almost the entire Muslim population and the majority of the black community and a majority of women. And the majority of the working class, he's got them all together wanting the same thing. And the DNC says, well, that man must be destroyed. I mean, the mask is off. What more do you want? They've revealed themselves. They, it was bullshit in 2016 with Hillary, but, you know, it was impossible to prove. Now they don't even care if they show who they are. It's obvious. It's fucking obvious. Yeah, I mean, in the... Tacoma rally a few days ago, I think it was either Shama Sawan or Pramila Jayapal that said, like, if Bloom, if the DNC rat fucks this in Milwaukee, like, we're gonna leave the Democratic Party. You are not owed our votes, and if you so brazenly fucking fuck with us and tell us you don't deserve better things, you deserve another shade of authoritarian racist billionaire from New York, we will stop listening to you. At least in 2016, there was a pretense that there was no candidate more popular. You know, there were some things that sort of like softened the blow, but Bernie's in the lead. Like, yeah. the people want Bernie. Bernie, by all accounts, is going to get a plurality of delegates. A majority, we don't know, but a plurality. Even that fucking piece of shit Nate Silver says so. But Nate Silver also says that in the number two spot is no one, which means a contested convention and a big old huge rat fuck. Because th there's no way that Sanders survives a second ballot. Yeah, well, no. If it goes to a contested convention, we're fucked. If it goes no. to a contested convention, we'll probably fucking end up with Bloomberg as the nominee or some shit, because he's probably he's probably already rigging the contested convention. Absolutely. No, Absolutely. No, 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 no. We're gonna we're gonna end up with someone worse. We're gonna end up with a compromised candidate that's fucking foisted upon us, and is like, see, they're vaguely progressive. You should be on board with this. This is gonna be Tim Kaine. It's gonna be fucking Tim Kaine. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna try and sell us Pete Buttigieg as the compromise candidate they're gonna be like look oh, yeah. you couldn't have Bernie but do you really want Bloomberg hmm how about Pete Pete has no legs beyond New Hampshire because he staked his entire campaign on a big win in Iowa and a big win in New Hampshire when he got a virtual tie which is actually a loss in Iowa. And then 
he lost in New Hampshire. He doesn't have anywhere to go. He doesn't have the infrastructure in Nevada to follow up what he did. He doesn't have the infrastructure anywhere beyond that. But I don't think he ever had the infrastructure in any of the places. I mean, I, I, I think he hoped that it would just sort of spontaneously appear when he won Iowa and New Hampshire and the news media started coalescing around him. Well, it would have. It would have if Bloomberg didn't enter the race. Because here's, here's you know, it's funny. As much as I love Bernie, and I do deeply love Bernie, and I don't think he's perfect, but I do deeply love him for the reasons I said earlier, the most upsetting thing to me in this entire election has not been the injustice that was done to Bernie. Because I was braced for it. I already knew why all the media and the entire party establishment wanted him destroyed. I was aware of that. It made sense to me. The thing that knocked me on my ass was how the New York Times rat-fucked Elizabeth Warren. And by that, I just assumed from day one that Elizabeth Warren would be the one to beat because the establishment would say, oh shit, we don't want fucking Bernie. All right, Liz is a little bit more to the left of Obama and Hillary. We'll, we'll, we'll give her. And they said, no, fuck you. We're going to call you a radical and make you share it with fucking Amy Klobuchar. So once I saw the establishment won't even accept Liz... Holy shit! I mean, if you remember in if you remember in uh, November or September, I don't quite remember specifically, but there was a time when Elizabeth Warren was probably the presumptive nominee, and Sanders was off the heels of his heart attack, and it just it seemed like Warren was going to inevitably sail to an easy Iowa win, an easy New Hampshire win, and just take the whole thing, but she just didn't because she. F- fucking fell on her own ass because she she hired Clinton people and was just incompetent at being a political operative. I mean, actually, did you see the numbers from New Hampshire where they, they asked voters, were these candidates too, too far to the right or too far to the left for you? Yeah, Elizabeth Warren had 45% of people saying she was too far left, 45% of people saying she was too far right. She triangulated herself right into a fucking dumpster. Absolutely. Yeah, she had seven, 7% of people said she was in the sweet spot. Every other candidate, regardless of how big their support is or things like that, the people, if you poll them, even people that weren't going to vote for them, would you know rate them better than that in terms of like do they do they hit a a spot of politics that you're comfortable with um but like yeah she just she ran a campaign that appealed to no one in the end that's right and uh, but the thing is the establishment also thought she was the presumptive nominee and they turned all their attention for about a one month period into destroying her instead of destroying bernie and she instead of weathering the storm broke right which really fucked her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she... that really was the moment. When she came out with, like, the parental leave plan and or original way of talking about her Medicare for All plan, which honestly was never really as ambitious as Bernie's, and when she came out as a progressive, she actually was a threat. Like, there were a lot of people who were like... There were positions where she was outflanking Bernie. Exactly. She really was a threat to leftists because a lot of people were interacting with her as, you know, otherwise equal, therefore I'll vote for the woman. Right. Uh, and the second she faltered on Medicare for All, her numbers started dropping and just went into a fucking spiral and never recovered. She kept fucking up after that point. 
Yeah. And it's it's very funny to see people say, "Oh, where's Liz?" in coverage, like they're Yang heads complaining about a media blackout. Oh, that's such bullshit. That's such fucking bullshit. I can't stand that. It's like, like she she's lost. got no fucking poll numbers. That's why she's not in the fucking news. <laughs> she got third in Iowa and fourth in New Hampshire. She lost. And I think it's important to remember that you know Bernie was also put in this position very early in the primary. These other progressives who were in some ways more outside of what the Democratic establishment is willing to accept even than Bernie. I mean, things like Medicare for All, they don't want it because they've got moneyed interest in not wanting it. But they still accept that this is something that a lot of people want. And so they're looking at like, oh, can we make a compromise that's good enough and gets people to settle down? And so when like Andrew Yang, Marion Williamson, Tulsi Gabbard were on the stage, don't forget, even Bernie got his little honeymoon. They were sucking up to him trying to get these other weirdo, quote unquote, progressives off the stage because they were all way too out there. We can't have any of that. You know, we'll we'll just we'll keep Bernie for now, and we won't kick him to the curb till later. They continually underestimated. But Bernie. what I was gonna say is that Bernie did not sell himself or anyone else out during that time. He didn't turn on these other progressives and you know sell them down the river or be like, well, nope. Since you know, since these progressives are getting attacked, I'm gonna move a little further to the right to make sure I make it in. He stuck to his guns and that's why we like him. They assumed Bernie was would operate under the normal standard operating procedures of politics when he just didn't and it break it broke and breaks their fucking brains. Yep. I mean, you know, I did a thread the other day and I asked people because I was try I was tired of being viewed as a divisive Bernie bro. I was just trying to be open and positive. And I asked people, if you've moved decidedly left in the last 10 years, I want to hear from you, reply to me, tell me why. And it, it actually got a, a bit of traction. A ton of people moved left and a ton of people explained why. And there were a lot of reasons, whether a lot of people said it was the failed promise of Obama. Some people said that it was reacting to Trump, like an, an equal and opposite reaction. A lot of people said Chapo. A lot of people said the internet, whatever. The point is, the majority of the responses were people that broke hard right to hard left instead of people going from the center left. And it makes perfect sense when I thought about it because people in the center, they're doing okay. They're doing fine. They don't want any big change of any kind. So many people told me they were gay or bi or trans or queer. And once they left their their harsh, like, say, Christian conservative upbringing, they didn't become Hillary centrists. They were like, well, now I'm liberated. What's the right cause? What's the good cause? And they broke hard left. It takes all, every mainstream newspaper and all of mass media and the entire Democratic machine and GOP strain to gaslight people to keep them in the center of wanting no change. Once you're free of that, you naturally break left. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, socialism is the natural endpoint of empathy. And I think a lot of yeah. people who have never really experienced any kind of meaningful hardship end up staying much more conservative just because they've never really had to exercise empathy or lean on somebody else's empathy to like get through a traumatic experience you know and i i make a lot of fun of these people in that capacity in particular of like people who've never really been through anything 
you know, or they'll, their worst experience will be like, my parent died when I was young. And it's like, well, yeah, but like, that happens. People on the left are people who've had identity shifting problems or who've like really seen like some massive, completely preventable trauma in their lives because of the system working the way it does. And I think um, the, the greatest utility of the internet for all the things the internet has objectively made terrible about politics has been the fact that people can give themselves an identity, find a name for their identity and talk to each other about those shared experiences and you know, create collective power through those connections. And I think that's been fucking revolutionary. Absolutely. Everything Absolutely. else has been terrible. Uh -huh. I, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot of great things about the internet. We all know what sucks about it. That's all the thing. That's all we hear about it. And yes, Twitter is a hell site, and Nazis love it, so it's bad. But um, the internet just helped people talk to each other, and um, you're not alone. It helped many people find out they were not alone, Whether it, and that's equally true for class politics as it is for identity politics, and it's been a godsend to both those things and it's helped us talk to each other tonight for this wonderful conversation it was loosely about entertainment it was loosely about things yeah before we go because we didn't get to the topic can you just tell me like the the the, the top three uh celebrities who talk about politics that you want to fucking hit in the face with a bag of manure megan mccain She's not a celebrity. She's a politician who became a she's she she became a celebrity through politics. It's like the other way but, around. I mean, no. She, no, but she is just a personality. Though. She's, literally, she's just literally just a personality. Just a media yeah. personality. And if uh, we're excluding right. people who are related to powerful politicians, you immediately knock out pretty much half of the A list. Well, no, but I'm I'm talking about people who are in <laughs> entertainment first, who decided to have vocal public uh, political opinions that suck. Okay. So Deborah Messing would be, like, the prime example. Right. God, I don't know. I don't fucking pay attention to those people. They've disgusted me for, like, 15 years. I'm, I'm gonna... I'm, we should call this episode before things get any worse. But, yeah, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Wayne, for, for coming on. No yeah, problem. Wayne Gladstone, everybody. Thank you so much, Wayne. Uh, where do people get at you on Twitter and stuff like that? Well, I'm at W. Gladstone, and my podcast is contrarian court we're on patreon soundcloud google play itunes and uh thanks for having me guys yeah absolutely it was a blast and we are not safe for wonks and we also have a twitter it's at nsf wonks and we also have a patreon it's patreon.com slash not safe and we really appreciate you listening as always so much thank you and bye bye, bye, -bye. see you thanks guys bye